Said if I die tomorrow, promise you'll remember me. Remember all the good times before they bury me. Remember I was down and out until the switch flipped. You got a little right way to see prosperity. Remember Satan had me firmly in his grasp, had me yelling out to God, trying to ask for more clarity. 2020 vision now, I will not be a victim. Promise I don't even want your pity or your charity. I don't. And welcome back to the Between the Lies podcast, where we deep dive into whatever wicked or warped subject we might find our way into at that given time. Before I dive into the topic, a few people have reached out to me and asked, yes, most if not all of the songs that you hear in the beginning of the podcast are actually mine. I've been making music, usually hip-hop or R&B-centric music, um, centered music rather, for the last, oh, I don't know. 10 or 15 years um so that's something that i've grown out of a little bit doing on a consistent basis but i still do it in terms of wanting to bring new music to the podcast so if you ever like anything feel free to reach out to me the people who have me on tiktok or if you know me personally reach out to me and i'm happy to send you the music although i'm not actively putting it out I'm more so using it as a vessel and a way to get cool music on the podcast that I think is good and I feel like running up uh, instead of having the same intro every week, maybe we could change it up. I hear a lot of podcasts that have the same intro and I'm not knocking that at all, but in my personal opinion, I would like most of the podcast or some of the podcasts I listen to to maybe change up the intro. I think it keeps it fresh. But nonetheless, I digress. Today we are going to be talking about a case that is extremely near and dear to my heart and I have an extremely personal connection to, which I'll go into shortly. But for now, today we will be covering the unsolved mystery that is the disappearance of Dulce Maria Alaves. For those of us who don't know, in Bridgeton, New Jersey, five plus years ago, a little girl who was five years old was never seen again. She was playing on the playground with her younger brother, who was two or three at the time, and basically vanished with the wind and was never seen again. There have been thousands of tips that have poured into FBI as well as local authorities' tip lines over the years. Unfortunately, none of them have actually come to fruition in terms of ever even having a lead suspect, although the rumor and speculation mill has run rampant since this case happened. My personal connection is as follows, and then we're going to talk about the timeline because as I always say with these unsolved mystery or unsolved murder case, unfortunately, it's so important to establish a timeline. And why I say that, especially in this case, is because it is still unsolved, and we can analyze the timeline and go back and look at certain things and question certain things in the official timeline and maybe see where was the ball dropped in this case? Was it the police? Was it the family? Was it something else that slipped through the cracks? I mean, analyzing the timeline might be the most important thing you could do in any type of case like this. Nonetheless, my personal connection to the Dulce Marie Alaves case is as follows. My aunt, who is the most amazing person I truly know, um, I never met anybody to say a bad thing about her. She is literally the best human being in the entire world, and I look up to her as a human being. Um, and I mean that wholeheartedly, was actually very involved in some of the search efforts for Dulce and receiving funding for the family to help them get through tough times such as Christmas, etc. after um, losing their daughter, who we hope has just been 
locate it somewhere different, but unfortunately the presumption has possibly been that there is some foul play involved, especially after you don't find a child in the first 48 hours, you start to think that foul play is involved, but we're going on five plus years. So my aunt was heavily involved with some of the searches, and for the better part of a few years, was doing everything she could to go back and forth to Bridgeton to help with the searches, help with the family. We even, at a point, I went with my aunt and became so obsessed with this case. We even, at a point, went through Bridgeton around the area where Dulce Maria Alaves had gone missing and knocked on doors and literally tried to get statements from people or tried to get their perspective on what they thought may have happened. Now, unfortunately, ICE, the organization, which of course is against illegal immigration, got involved with the case very early on, and you have a huge population of people who are undocumented in Bridgeton as well. So because of that, you could knock on almost every door in the whole city. We very rarely heard that anybody truly knew anything. Of course, as you're knocking on doors and stuff, people are rooting you on, but there was a general distrust of anybody who was coming around talking about the Dulce Marie Alaves case, unfortunately. Nonetheless, that is my personal connection. I have personally spent a lot of time, and my aunt has spent way more time looking into this case than me, but I am extremely connected to this case, hence the reason that I've gone about not covering it, because it's like a, a wound that I'm reopening in a way. For a long time, I was super obsessed with this case, it's all I wanted to talk about. I would even go out with friends to dinner, and instead of talking about what's going on with my family, I would be talking to them about the case the entire time, and some of my friends are witness to this. Nonetheless, as I sat here in these past couple weeks thinking of what subject to cover next, I thought to myself that not only is it the right thing to do to cover this case to spread awareness, whether it hurts my feelings or hurts my heart or not, not only is it the right thing to do to spread awareness, but who better could give you a perspective on this case than somebody who wasn't heavily involved, but who was involved in some of the searches, was literally rubbing elbows with some of the people who were digging around the school where apparently a psychic alerted to and said that Dulce was located at. Unfortunately, she was never found there. But nonetheless, I'm very personally connected to this case, and I may have a bias towards it. So before I keep going on for a year and a half, let's get to that ever-important timeline and go from there. On September 16th, 2019, around 4 or before 4 p.m., surveillance video would capture the last known images of Dulce Alaves. The video shows Dulce getting ice cream at a store with her mother, three-year-old brother, and her eight-year-old relative. Afterwards, all four of those family members would go to a local park in Bridgeton, but unfortunately, Dulce's mom was not really paying attention to her two kids who were on the playground, and unfortunately, that led to what happens next. So after 4 p.m., Dulce arrives at the Bridgeton City Park with her relatives, as we mentioned. She and her three-year-old brother run off to play while her mother stays in the vehicle with her eight-year-old relative, apparently doing scratch-offs. Now, the mother has already been crucified completely by the media and everybody in this case. Um, I'm not going to trash her. I am going to look at all the leads, and we're going to talk about all the possibilities. And these are all hypothetical. I want to make it known that in terms of legalities, 
I am not accusing anybody of anything. I am simply relaying my opinions about the matter, and I am not making any foregone conclusions in terms of legalities. Nonetheless, around 4.20 p.m., keep in mind that the family arrived there around 4 p.m. or a little after, Dulce's three-year-old brother would return 20 minutes later to the car without his sister and frantic. Noema Alaves, who is Dulce's mom, would begin looking for her daughter, but could not find her. Now, around 5 p.m., Noema Alaves calls police to report her daughter missing. September 17th, so one day going by, as word of Dulce's disappearance spreads, the FBI and members of the Bridgeton community join the effort to find the little girl. At that point, on the 17th, an Amber Alert is issued shortly after 10 p.m., so 10 p.m. the next day, she went missing on September 16th around 4.30, 10 p.m. the next day the Amber Alert is issued. We will get into that shortly in terms of dissecting the timeline and why I believe that matters. In the alert, police say it is believed that Dulce was taken by a light-skinned, possibly Hispanic male, roughly 5 foot 6 inches tall. He was believed to be wearing orange sneakers, red pants, and a black shirt. Police also say that he led Dulce to his car, which was a red van with a sliding door and tinted windows. So this is the Amber Alert, and obviously it is way late, and we'll talk about that in a moment because that just blows my mind. But nonetheless, on September 18th, people gather in Bridgeton City Park for a vigil, praying for Dulce's safe return. The next day, on September 19th, Family members of Dulce issue another public plea for help as the search for Dulce continues. We have not been able to eat nor sleep, they said. You can't imagine what we're going through. We are very sad. Please help our family, I beg of you. At this point, there was now a combined $20,000 reward for anybody who had information leading to the identification or conviction of any suspect. September 20th. The reward for information then grows to 25k. Cumberland County, which is the area that she went missing from, their prosecutor, Jennifer Webb McRae, issues a plea for witnesses to come forward. We're asking them, we're appealing to them, we're encouraging them to come forward. We will also talk about this shortly, but remember I spoke of earlier that ICE, which is the anti-immigration police basically, was heavily involved in this case. And we'll get into why that was important, but it basically meant that the town of Bridgeton was ultra-reluctant to come forward with information, which, for me, makes no sense. Why would you involve the anti-immigration police in this search when you're relying on maybe a 50 or 60 or more percentage of town of Hispanic people who maybe they aren't documented? I mean, why would you involve the anti-immigration police? But... Nonetheless, on September 21st, the reward for information would grow to 35000 so it's heightening literally by the day. On September 23rd, as the search for Dulce enters its second week, authorities would plea with anyone who visited the Bridgeton City Park on the day she vanished to share photos and videos they took in the area. So again, looking for outcry from the public in terms of information and trying to get information any way they can, even saying, Share a video or photo with us, and you can remain anonymous, and nothing's really working out. Again, I'm sure there were thousands and thousands of tips, just unfortunately none of them panned out. 
On September 24th, investigators announced they were able to successfully contact Dulce's father, who was kind of out of the picture and living in Mexico at the time, at least not living with Dulce in America at this point. The FBI said it was working on having agents interview the father face-to-face, and the FBI would also add Dulce to its most wanting persons list. So basically, there is big coverage on this case. The FBI is involved. There's a public outcry. They're talking about possibly talking to the father one-on-one. On September 26th, Dulce's family would release new video of the child as a search for her passes the 10-day mark. And real quick, I just want to mention that in missing persons cases, children especially, if you don't find a solid lead or a solid suspect, typically in the first 48 hours, and we're not talking about just having a description of the vehicle, we're talking about concrete leads, the hope that you're going to bring this child or any missing person home alive slowly and just dwindles. I mean, it's just, unfortunately, the statistics say that after the first 48, if you have not located the person who, especially if they're a child, the statistics do not support the fact that they're alive. And that's what's so heartbreaking, especially for me in this case. But nonetheless, on September 27th, a forensics professor at Rutgers University, Camden, who was not involved with the investigation, would offer their independent insight into possible scenarios in the case. So it's getting a lot of attention, there's no doubt about it. On September 30th, speaking while holding one of her daughter's favorite toys, the mother of five-year-old Dulce would address the media, saying, I'm worried about my daughter. Keep in mind there's 100% a language barrier with Noema, who is Dulce's mom, but that's something we'll get into shortly. On October 3rd, the 911 call was actually released, and in it you can hear Noema saying, "Um, I can't find my daughter. We were there at a park, and somebody said that somebody... Probably somebody took her. Again, there is a big language barrier, but we'll dive deep into the weeds on that shortly. On October 4th, despite the efforts of hundreds of police officers and scores of tips, investigators say they still have no strong leads in the search for Dulce. Prosecutors say they will still need a key piece of information as the search continues. Again, people not coming to give real tips or give eyewitness type of evidence that we really need to solve a case like this because of the presence of ICE in this investigation. So the ball was dropped when ICE got involved in this investigation purely. On October 6th, community members continue to search in Bridgeton for five-year-old Dulce. The new search groups will start looking for the missing child in and around the park where she disappeared back on September 16th. The FBI would place Dulce on its most wanted missing persons list, which is something we heard earlier. So I'm not sure if they replaced her on it or just did that to kind of get like some media coverage. On October 9th, the reward would grow to 52000 in the search for missing Dulce. On October 15th, authorities released a composite sketch of a possible witness in the case of missing Dulce. An Amber Alert would remain in effect for the Bridgeton, New Jersey girl. Remember, the Amber Alert was actually sounded the day after at 10 p.m. On or I'm sorry, November 15th, the community would hold a vigil for Dulce, who had been missing at that point for two months, unfortunately. And on December 6th, in an interview on the Dr. Phil show, again, just a testament to how much coverage this case was truly getting, it was certainly in the public eye in more ways than one, Noema Perez, who again is Dulce's mom, would raise suspicions about an old family friend who tried to date her. She tells Dr. Phil that he would be her first suspect she would have in mind 
first and foremost, the first thing that I want to get out of the way is to listen to the 911 call. There are various people all over the internet who have called out Noema, who is Dulce's mom, about her non-emotional response to her daughter going missing in the weeks, months, and years following um, the disappearance of her five-year-old little girl. But we're going to listen to the 911 call and kind of reflect on that, at least my personal opinion on it. So let's play that and go from there and get into the weeds on that. Okay, when was the last time you seen her? We were, we were there at the park. Seven people said that somebody, probably somebody took her. Okay. How old is she? She's five years old. Okay, and what park are you at? Here in Bristol Park. Okay, where at the Bristol Park are you? Um, the one with the basketball court where high school is. Okay, so you're at the basketball courts behind the high school? Yes. Okay. And uh, what was she seen last wearing? She was wearing, um, um, give me a second. I don't remember what clothes she was wearing, but she was wearing, I just remember her pants. She was wearing, like, a flower, flowery pants. And some heels, some white heels. Okay. Hi, ma'am. Stand alive. I'm going to turn you over to the police, okay? And you said she was five, correct? Yes. All right. Hello, ma'am? Hello. Hi, did you see which direction your child went? No, um, we were in the car. She, she came down with my son. They were running to the park. And then me and my sister, we came down. But when, when, when we got here at the park, she wasn't here. They, they said that my son was just crying in his ice cream. Because uh, somebody um, threw his ice cream in the floor and my daughter just ran away. So first and foremost, the first thing that I noticed in the 911 call is she starts it off. And feel free to listen again if you didn't catch this. But she starts it off extremely emotional and seems to be extremely stressed out about the disappearance of her five-year-old daughter. Keep in mind that Dulce went missing around 4.15 or so, and Noema actually didn't call the police until 5 p.m., something that isn't in those official timelines that I know by being close to the case was that Noema actually called her brother first off, and I don't know if he actually went to the park to search or went at first to search and then convinced her to call the cops. But you hear Noema at first in the call sound really stressed out and really emotional. But as the call reaches its end, in my at least personal opinion, you hear her being a little less frantic and a little more calm and casual. Now that's just an observation I'm making. Usually when you hear these types of calls, I've done the John Benet Ramsey case and all these other cases I've looked into, even if I didn't do a podcast on it in the past, typically you will hear the same level of emotion throughout the call, at least somewhat. It doesn't go from one extreme to the other. So at this point, based on what I heard, all I'm going to say is that I clearly noticed her being extremely emotional and stressed out in the beginning of the call, and then towards the end of the call, that kind of tapering off and her becoming a little more calm. This could be for many reasons. She could feel less stressed out because she's on the phone with police and feels like that they're actually going to help her and they're just going to find her daughter and she's starting to kind of come down to earth about the fact that maybe her daughter will be found, although unfortunately she wasn't. But nonetheless, we have to point these type of things out. 
And it is a little alarming, you would say, for somebody's daughter to go missing at 4.15, 4.20, and the mom not to call police till 5, 5.10. But also you have to keep in mind that a lot of the population in Bridgeton, including Noema, apparently, are illegal immigrants. So there is a distrust for police in terms of the fear of being deported. So a lot of times when they have problems in these type of communities, they are solved from within the community, similar to like Amish communities that have their own police. They may not call it their own police force, but a lot of the issues within the community are solved within the members of the community. So it is really not too out of character for a Hispanic mom who's probably illegal and or has a lot of family members that are illegally living in this country to have that general distrust of police and delay that phone call being made. So you might say to yourself as a citizen of the United States who has their green card and all your papers, oh, well, the first thing I would do was call the police. But you have to remember there is that fear of being deported and there is that fear and general distrust of police at play here. Listening to this specific clip as well, I got it right off of YouTube, literally. Um, I read through some of the comments, and I noticed some people commenting at the fact that Noema, who again is Dulce's mother, on the call does not remember the specific clothes that Dulce was wearing. I also just want to play devil's advocate here. I think there's very many suspicious things that have happened with the family and Noema, and nobody can deny that, but to play devil's advocate... You have to imagine in the case that she has no clue what happened to her daughter and all she knows is that her daughter disappeared off the playground, there is a stress level to it that could possibly make somebody forget what their child is wearing. You may say as a parent, oh, I would never forget what my child is wearing, but unfortunately until we're in that specific position, we can't know for sure if that amount of stress of losing a child would make you forget a significant detail like that. I will admit that if you look at the last video of Dulce in that store like we talked about with her cousin, her younger brother, and her mom, she is clearly in a yellow shirt and black and white pants, and she really sticks out. So I do think in a way that it's odd that the mother didn't remember that, but you have to remember this is also a mother that admittedly was in her car with her 8-year-old cousin doing scratch-offs while her children were playing at the park. I mean, you don't have to be a helicopter parent, but even people who are hands-off parents would tell you that you probably shouldn't be all the way in the car about 50 to 100 yards away while your children are playing at the park. Is it possible that Noema in general is just a hands-off mom and not really aware of much? Yes, that's extremely possible, especially considering the fact she literally didn't have her eyes on her daughter at a random public park. Of course, this was a park they knew, but nonetheless, even at the park, even if you're going to sit on the bench and your child's going to play on the slide 20 feet away, you want to have your eyes on your child at all times. So another ball dropped in this case, and you know she's been torn apart on the internet and social media about the fact that she was in the car. You'll also notice that throughout the call, she kind of downplays the part how she was in the car. She does say that initially, but then she says, we ran and checked on my son and daughter and noticed Dulce was gone. Later in the case, it would come out that Dulce's three-year-old brother actually ran over to the car crying with 
either ice cream in his hand or ice cream on his shirt because remember in one of the videos right before she went missing they actually were buying ice cream from a corner store the same corner store which I personally have visited and that was a humbling experience to go to one of the last places that somebody was possibly seen alive as well as searching the park but nonetheless Noema kind of downplays the fact that she didn't go check on the children and kind of acts like she was the one who approached her crying child, but it has later been theorized and reported by many, um, including some of the official timelines, that Noema was actually approached at her car when she saw her crying three-year-old who alerted her to this. So nonetheless, she made a mistake as a mom. Nobody can deny that at all. It is definitely possible considering that she was doing scratch-offs in the car while her child went missing at the playground right ahead of her that she was not aware of what her child was wearing. I guess that's a long-winded way of saying that for me. And through listening to this initial 911 call, which I thought was the only part that was available, I actually came across a second part of it that I want to play and analyze a little bit. So let's cut to that and then dive deep in the details. And to anybody listening, please just keep in mind that this is after they connected her to a different department. I'm assuming it was a department that was closer to her or the actual police department that would be responding that day. So you're going to hear it cut out a little, and that is the 911 dispatcher or operator or whatever you would call it, um, sending her over to another department. So let's play that and go from there. You didn't see anyone else around there that she could possibly have went with? No, not no that I know of. Because we didn't saw no one. There's just some other people that they're here that said that they saw her running, running through um through some houses in the back. And they they said that they saw two per they saw two men. They saw a black guy and they saw so a Mexican man with two kids. They, who's saying that they saw them? But there's people here in the basketball court that they saw her. They said that they saw her running. They're saying that there's people there at the basketball court that they saw her running through some houses with two black males. She's light-skinned Spanish. And what color top does she have on? Um, I don't remember. Okay. Are you at the basketball court? Yes, I'm right here right now. She's, that's affirmed. She says that she's at the basketball court. And do you have your son with you, or is your son... No, I have my son with me. They say um, he was crying when we found him. He was just standing there crying. Oh, he was standing there crying. So who... You said that the black males took his ice cream? No, they, um, they threw it in the floor. They had threw it in the floor. So the male took his, took his ice cream and threw it on the floor, and then they left with your daughter? Probably, because I didn't saw it. When we came in and looked for her, we were looking everywhere for she her. She said that her son it. was at the basketball court with her daughter, that there was two black males that took her son's ice cream and threw it on the ground and left with her daughter. Wow. So my reaction to that is a bit of confusion because that is drastically different from the story that she told in the beginning of the call. At first, she doesn't mention any black males or anything like that. Now, is it possible that while she was on the 911 call, there were people talking to her and reporting what they had seen? Absolutely. 
but is it also possible that her story is ever-changing because she's unsure of how or what to report? I mean, we look at all possibilities, and that has to be a possibility as well. The fact that she's now saying that two black men approached her daughter and son on the playground, threw down her son's ice cream, and then ran away with Dulce is a little bit different from the story she told in the initial part of the 911 call. I will also point out that the Amber Alert that went out, remember, the next night at 10 p.m. would also cite an Hispanic male for being the one who had ran off with Dulce and never mentioned anything about African-American males. So in doing research and looking into this, I really couldn't find any additional information about this. Noema Alaves has also gone on Dr. Phil in the time since her daughter's disappearance, and when she was asked about possible suspects, she pointed to an old family friend who apparently had some sour grapes with her who would be the first person that she would suspect, and those words came out of her mouth. Again, never mentioned anything more about African-American males. And the fact that we can't really track down witnesses in this case, or at least the police have not gone public with that, is alarming to me as well. Also, I want to go over the Amber Alert and some of the weird things that stuck out to me and what I believe to be one of the biggest balls dropped in this case. Now, remember I mentioned earlier that the Amber Alert was actually issued the day after, a full 30 hours after Dulce went missing. Now, some people online have pointed out to me through doing some TikTok videos that Amber Alerts have to follow certain criteria, and they have to, for a fact, know that the child has been abducted before posting it, as they can't just post an Amber Alert based on hearsay. But in the case of a disappearance of anybody, including a child, when can you definitively say that they were abducted? I mean, even five years later, we cannot definitively say that she was abducted. We can only go off of hearsay. But here's some of the criteria about Amber Alerts and when and why to issue them that I got straight off of Amber Alerts website. Let's read them over and then go from there. The first criteria is that there is reasonable belief by law enforcement that an abduction has occurred. Secondly, the law enforcement agency would believe that the child is in imminent danger of serious bodily injury or even death. Third, there is enough descriptive information about the victim and the abduction for law enforcement to issue an Amber Alert to assist in the recovery of the child. Fourth, the abduction of the child is aged 17 years or younger. And lastly, the child's name and other critical data elements, including the child abduction flag, have been entered into the National Crime Information Center system. So let's go over the criteria and compare it to the Dulce happenings and the case and what was happening at that very time, and then talk about the timeline again. So first of all, there being reasonable belief by law enforcement that an abduction had occurred. Based on that 911 call alone, I would say there was reasonable belief that an abduction had occurred. I mean, you even had eyewitness testimony, supposedly, placing Dulce at the park and then being led away by multiple people that were described in many different ways, but that's a whole different rabbit hole. Secondly, the law enforcement agency believes that the child is in imminent danger of serious bodily injury or death. Well, in the case that a child was abducted by complete strangers, they would be in jeopardy in that way. Third, there's enough descriptive information about the victim and the abduction for law enforcement to issue an Amber Alert. So that's kind of where it gets into a bit of a gray area. I mean, 
who can really define when there's enough information to say for sure that there was an abduction. I mean, police somehow, some way took 30 hours to determine this, but in my mind and in my soul, to me, even based on the 911 call and the initial reports, I think that there was reason to put out an Amber Alert at least the day of. Six hours later is one thing. The night of is one thing. But 30 hours later, in 30 hours, somebody who abducts a child can be completely in another state. They could even be in another country by that time. Now, it is fully feasible to think that the police department that responded, which I guess would be the Bridgeton Police Department, was not fully equipped to handle such a case. I mean, most police departments are cutting their funding. They have less people working, let alone missing children's detectives or detectives at all. So it is completely possible that based off lack of manpower alone, they were not able to search the complete area that day. But nonetheless, I think we all can agree that had that Amber Alert gone out a little sooner, maybe it's possible that I'm talking about this case in hindsight and we actually know the answers to where Dulce has gone. It is absolutely a ball dropped in this case, and I will not back down from that argument at all. But again, just my personal opinion. Now, in terms of the specific details of the Amber Alert for Dulce, they go as follows. So authorities say they had reports Alaves was taken by a light-skinned, possibly Hispanic male, roughly 5 foot 6 inches tall. He was believed to be wearing orange sneakers, red pants, and a black shirt at the time of the incident. Police said the man led Dulce away from the playground at the park to a red van with sliding doors and tinted windows. The man then allegedly fled with the girl. Now, I do want to point out something very jarring to me, especially being so close to the case, that I noticed early on that really just didn't sit right with me. And although I'm not accusing anybody of anything, it is extremely coincidental. Now, we heard at the end of that Amber Alert report that a red van with sliding doors and tenant windows was said to be the vehicle which the abduction took place in, a.k.a. the person took Dulce to this red van and sped off. Now, the first day that we were searching Bridgeton, we actually drove by Dulce's family's house. And in the biggest coincidence, maybe of all time, if not, not a coincidence at all, Dulce's family also possessed a red van with sliding doors and tenant windows. This would lend further credibility to some of the theories that have popped up that maybe Dulce's family had something to do with this. Is it possible that this was some plan to get her back to Mexico to her father? We may never know, but at the end of the day, what are the chances that a red van is sighted in the Amber Alert and it happens to be the same van that the family has. Now, all reports all over the internet, different websites, all leaning different ways, all say the same thing, that Dulce's family has and is being extremely cooperative, at least up until a certain point. And I will admit through going to some of the searches personally that Dulce's family was completely involved in most, if not all, of the searches. So you might say, well, why would her family be involved in the searches if they already know what happened to her? Unfortunately, these type of things can happen all the time, and the family may know what happened but still want to invoke some sort of idea that they were not involved and therefore know in the back of their minds that if they're not involved in the searches, I mean, that's even more suspicious than anything. 
Now, I do want to point out that police dogs apparently did find a scent of Dulce's at some point during their initial search for about an hour, and then it trailed off to some road. We don't know the exact road. We don't know how far it was from Bridgeton Park where she went missing. But apparently, she was let off somewhere and then never seen again. I do want to go over some of the Dr. Phil episode that covered the disappearance of Dulce Alaves and point out some specifics as well before we move forward. Now, Noema, of course, is talking to Dr. Phil throughout, and I encourage you to go look this up on your own accord. Unfortunately, I'm going to stay away from playing clips of it on the podcast because I do fear that I'll get flagged for copyright, so I want no parts of that. But nonetheless, Dr. Phil, his analyzation of the whole thing is that he has never seen a mother more detached from the disappearance of her daughter than he has seen Noema. Jackie Rodriguez, who's somebody I met many times, was very passionate about the case, actually became the family spokesperson. She was also helping secure funding for the family and initiate searches and also talking to the press for the family, who of course have a language barrier, so it was easier for them to confide in Jackie. So Jackie Rodriguez actually accompanied Noema to the Dr. Phil show, and even she stated at a point that she feels like something is off and she feels like Noema might know more about the case than she's leading on. Shortly after the airing of the Dr. Phil episode, Jackie Rodriguez would have ties cut with Dulce's family completely, and that was a directive from Dulce's family. For whatever reason, probably the Dr. Phil interview and the honesty of Jackie Rodriguez in it, the family would state that Jackie Rodriguez was making them uncomfortable. Jackie Rodriguez also has a TikTok where multiple times she has talked about the Dulce case over the years, and in her personal opinion, she feels that the family was made uncomfortable because she was digging too deep and kind of getting into the real truth of it. Is it possible that the family knew more than they were leading on, and when the fire got too hot, they decided to cut ties with Rodriguez because she was digging too deep and bringing awareness to the fact that the family very well may be involved? That is certainly a possibility, but so is anything in this case. Unfortunately, a full five-plus years later in 2023, as I sit here today, There are far more questions than answers in the disappearance of Dulce Alaves. I do want to talk about a theory that I've seen online that I also believe could have some credence that has nothing to do with the family at all, or something but not too much to do with the family at all. There were talks of Noema possibly having gang ties in her past, and this was a well-known thing in Bridgeton apparently. Was it possible that Dulce was taken to pay some kind of debt that the family somehow owed? Therefore, the whole town is quiet because of the gang ties and threats to their lives that could happen if they were to speak up about it? Another theory that I've heard that I believe may be possible is the fact that maybe Dulce was abducted by one of these child rings that we hear so much about and taken off to some far island. I mean... It would explain the fact that the FBI and so many agencies got involved, but at a certain point, backed off. Not that they're still not working on the case, I'm not denying that, but you would think five plus years later we would have more answers, or 
at least more of an idea on what possibly could have happened. Unfortunately, yes, the family in the media does say they are still looking, but there have been no more search efforts. And there's even a tree that was planted for Dulce that apparently, based on pictures I've seen, the family is completely ignoring. Now again, I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I would just think if your or my child went missing, that if a tree was planted in her honor, maybe you would keep it pristine and keep the things around it well gardened or you know living and much of it has been ignored is it a possibility that the family has completely given up yes that's a possibility I do want to end this podcast off on a couple things and put some information out there to anybody listening who may have information about the case because this is something that I wrestle with every day I swear I think about this every single day and in a way it has haunted me since the first day that we went on a search because when you get emotionally attached to something like this and you feel as though you'll never find the answer and never bring that sweet little girl home, it almost haunts you day after day. So I do want to put some numbers out there that people listening can contact if they know anything about the disappearance of Dulce. If you have any information about the disappearance of Dulce Alaves, you can call 1-800-THE-LOST or 1-800-843-5678. Again, 1-800-843-5678. You can also contact the Bridgeton City Police Department at 856-451-0033 or your local FBI field office at 1-800-225-5324. I will be doing a part two to this episode at some point, and I hope to be doing the part two with more answers to the questions that we've asked today. But unfortunately, as we sit here today, we really don't have an answer to what happened to Dulce. So as I always say, do your own research, look into this on your own accord, follow all the leads, and make your own conclusions. Let's look into this and maybe see if there's leads that weren't followed that internet sleuths can follow up on and actually find out more than these agencies can even find out. Is it possible that these agencies have given up altogether on finding Dulce Alaves? Unfortunately, that is a possibility, and I hope to God that one day, at least before I die or before her family passes away, have they not been involved, that they get the answer to these horrible questions that we have to ask ourselves forever and ever. Thank you again for listening to the Between the Lies podcast, where we deep dive into whatever wicked or warped subject we might find our way into. Let's all say a collective prayer for the safe return of Dulce Maria Alaves. As always, I'm your host, signing off.